There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. The Quran is the holy book of Islam. It is considered sacred by approximately 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. Those who are not familiar with that worldview are quite surprised when they find out that Jesus fills a very prominent role in the Quran. In fact, he is mentioned 97 times in 93 verses. And we're going to cover some of the most important passages in the Quran in reference to Jesus. Now, some are in agreement with the biblical story and some are not. And so this is going to provide not only an examination of the commonalities, but the contradictions between the Quran and the Bible. First, I want you to know that I am a very committed and conservative Christian. I believe Jesus is the only way, and I do not believe in Chrislam. Chrislam is a desperate measure some people take to try and mix Christianity and Islam to bring unity between the two worldviews, which I believe is absolutely impossible. Why? Because the worst sin, it's an unforgivable sin in Islam, is called shirk, and it's attributing divinity to anything or anyone other than Allah. And of course, in Christianity, in true Christianity, authentic Christianity, we believe that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. He was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So there is no way you can mix the two worldviews and call it Chrislam. And I want you to know that before I begin exploring these passages in the Quran. So why am I doing it? I believe it's important to understand other people's points of view. I believe it's important to understand what other religions purport to be the truth so that you can build bridges of communication. If you're oblivious to what a Muslim believes or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a, a, a person that embraces Shinto or what have you, then you don't have a real starting point for a communication of the gospel. So I believe it's important. Here's some foundational information. In the Bible, we have chapters and verses. In the Quran, the chapters are called surahs and the verses are called ayahs. And most of the time, I'll continue to use the terms chapters and verses because I'm more used to that. But I want you to know if you start exploring or examining the Quran, then you're going to find them termed differently. Number one, this is the first reference to Jesus in the Quran that I want to share. He is called Isa instead of Jesus. That's I-S-A. In fact, the full name given to him is Isa al-Masa. And al-Masa means the Messiah. 
he is referred to often as the son of Mary, but he is never referred to as the son of God. Number two, the Quran teaches that Isa or Jesus was born of a virgin. In chapter 3, verse 47 of the Quran, or the Surah and Ayah, it says concerning Mary that no man has touched her. And in chapter 66, verse 12, Allah supposedly is speaking, and he said, And Mary, the daughter of Imran, whose body was chaste, meaning she was a virgin, therefore we breathe therein something of our spirit, and she put faith in the words of her Lord and his scriptures, and was of the obedient. I want you to notice right here that quite often when Allah is supposedly speaking, plural pronouns are used, like we and our, in the verse I just gave. Why? Because that's the privilege of royalty. That's the explanation a Muslim would give, that many times a king or a queen will say we when they really technically should say I, and it's a way of magnifying that position of regal magnitude, the greatness, the highness of their position. And in like manner, God does that because of his regal position. But strangely, in the Bible, I think it's an indication of the triunity of God. Let us make man in our image. Well, that's a recognition that there's a plurality in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three are one. But it's not explained that way in the Quran or by Quranic scholars. All right, of course, the Bible is in agreement with the statement, with the idea, with the concept that Jesus was born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then, of course, we've all read the passage in Luke chapter 1 where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, do not be afraid, for you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of course, Mary said, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel responded, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now in the Quran, it states that God breathed into her womb, that the Spirit breathed into her womb, and that's how the body of Jesus was created. And it's pitiful to me, it's really pitiful to me that some Christian or supposed Christian theologians no longer believe in the virgin birth, but Muslims do. How ironic is that? Some who profess Christianity, who I believe are apostate and Christian in name only, have less faith than the Muslim who believes Jesus was born of a virgin. Okay, number three, the Quran teaches that Jesus actually spoke as an infant and declared himself to be a servant and a prophet when he was a mere baby. Let me give you the exact place in the Quran. 
chapter 19, or Surah 19, and Ayahs 29 and 30, is Mary's response to those who claimed she was living immorally. And she pointed to the baby, Isa, or Jesus, and, and they said, how can we converse with an infant? And then the baby spoke, Jesus spoke according to the Quran, and said, I am a servant of God, and he has granted me the scripture and made me a prophet. Well, in the Bible, there's absolutely no account of Jesus speaking as an infant. But he is called a servant, the servant of Yahweh. In Philippians 2.7, he took upon himself the form of a servant, and he is called a prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18, it talks about God raising up a prophet after Moses passed from this world. He said, Moses did, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. That's why many of those who were questioning Jesus said, are you that prophet that was to come? Moses said there would be one yet in the future. Number four, in the Quran, Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. And as I've already mentioned, he's called the Messiah. In the third surah and the 45th ayah, the angels said, Mary, God gives you news of a word from him whose name will be the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, who will be held in honor in this world and the next who will be one of those brought near to God. So let me go back through that slowly. The angel said to the mother of Jesus, Mary, God gives you news of a word from him whose name will be the Messiah. So most scholars that are very versed in the Quran believe that this Isa or this Jesus was the word of God. That's a title given to him and that he was the Messiah, of course, which means the anointed one. Well, the Bible's in agreement with both of those things because John said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so Jesus was the word made flesh and he was the Messiah that Daniel talked about. And he's called the Christ in the New Testament. Christ comes from the Greek Christos, and it means the anointed one. Messiah comes from the Hebrew Mashiach, and it means the anointed one. He was anointed to bring salvation into this world. And so even the Quran identifies him as the Messiah, though I'm sure it doesn't in any way share how he actually did bring deliverance and salvation to the world. Number five, the Quran teaches that Jesus was like Adam in the way that he was created. See, Adam was a creation of God formed out of the dust. And in the third surah and verses 58 and 59, the statement is made, we relate to you, and it's uh, being spoken to Muhammad. We relate to you this revelation, a decisive statement in God's eyes, Jesus is just like Adam. Adam was a direct creation of God, and they say Jesus was a direct creation of God, that the body was formed in Mary's womb. He created him from the dust and said to him, be, and he was. And so 
That seems to imply that Jesus also was created from the dust. Number six, in the Quran, it is taught that Jesus was not divine, that he was not the son of God. In fact, to give him equality with God brings severe punishment. And the passage that I'm going to quote to you is the fifth surah and verses 72 and 73. Those who say God is the Messiah, son of Mary, have defied God. The Messiah himself said, children of Israel, worship God, my Lord and your Lord. If anyone associates others with God, God will forbid him from the garden and hell will be his home. No one will help such evildoers. Those people who say that God is the third of three are defying the truth. There is only one God and if they persist in what they are saying, a painful punishment will afflict those of them who persist. Do you see why Christianity and Islam are completely incompatible if you believe in the triune nature of God? The Quran says a painful punishment awaits you and that you will end up in hell if you believe that. Well, we believe something quite different, that Jesus is the key to eternal life in heaven. And we must believe that he is. He said, he that does not believe that I am he will die in his sins. So complete contradiction there. And also in the fifth chapter of the Quran, the fifth surah, verses 116 and 117, God is speaking to Jesus at some future time. And he says, Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, take me and my mother as two gods alongside God? And he will say, may you be exalted as if he's talking back to Allah. May you be exalted. I would never know what I had no right to say. If I had said such a thing, you would have known it. And so they have Jesus denying his own divinity in that statement. The often heard Muslim maxim is this. In fact, it's written on the Dome of the Rock Shrine, and you'll find it spoken quite often by Muslims that God is not begotten, neither does he beget. And of course, that's a reference to our faith as Christians that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and our belief that that son was divine. He was God manifested in the flesh. When I mean a Muslim, though, I usually tell them, you know that statement, God is not begotten, neither does he beget, because we believe we can be born again, that we are begotten spiritually of the word of God when Jesus comes into our hearts. And so they refute both of those things. And when I meet a Muslim, I'll say, you know that statement, God is not begotten, neither does he beget? I believe that. And they look at me with shock. You're a Christian? And you believe that statement? I say, absolutely, yes. But I said, I have a little bit of a different slant of interpretation on it. God, in his greatness, his eternalness, is not begotten. God, in his infinitude, is not begotten. He doesn't have a beginning point. He doesn't have a starting point. He wasn't begotten by anything or anyone else. I agree with that. However, when he came in the form of his son, the word begotten simply means to be created, to be formed. And 
Muslims believe he was created, he was formed in the body of Mary by the breath of the Holy Spirit. So I said, we're really saying the same thing. And then neither does he beget. I don't believe like Mormons do that God actually begets physical children by physical copulation with a wife. I don't believe God does that. So I believe this, but in a little different sense than what a Muslim would interpret it to mean. All right, let's go to number seven. The Quran teaches that Jesus was endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, verse 110, Surah 5, verse 110, it talks about how he was strengthened with the Holy Spirit, that God strengthened him that way. And then number eight, as already stated, Jesus was the Word of God. But I have a different reference for that. In chapter 4, verse 171 of the Quran, it says, People of the book, do not go to excess in your religion. Do not say anything about God except the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was nothing more than a messenger of God. His word sent or directed to Mary a spirit from him. And so in that verse, not only was Jesus spoken of as being the word of God, but a messenger of God and a spirit from him. Number nine, Jesus worked miracles, according to the Quran, and they were referred to as clear signs. And also, God kept him from harm when people tried to harm him. So what are some of those miracles? According to the Quran, Jesus created a bird out of clay and breathed into it, and it came alive. He opened the eyes of the blind and cleansed the leper. He raised the dead, although the Quran does not give any specifics about when or who was raised from the dead. But the Bible talks specifically about three people, the daughter of Jairus, the widow's son of Nain, and Lazarus. So three specific instances are given when Jesus raised someone from the dead. The reference is Surah 5, verse 110. Then God will say, Jesus, son of Mary, remember my favor to you and to your mother, how I strengthened you with the Holy Spirit so that you spoke to the people in your infancy and as a grown man, how I taught you the scripture and wisdom, the Torah and the gospel, how, now here it is, how by my leave or by my imparted ability, I suppose, by my leave, you fashioned the shape of a bird out of clay, breathed into it, and it became by my leave, a bird. How by my leave, you healed the blind person and the leper, and how by my leave, you brought the dead back to life. How I restrained the children of Israel from harming you. So they believe that he worked miracles. Muslims also believe, according to the Quran, that he supernaturally supplied food to his disciples. And that's found in chapter 5, or Surah 5, verses 112 through 115. And this is where the disciples said, O Jesus, Son of Mary, can your Lord send down to us a table spread with food from heaven? And Jesus said, Fear Allah, if you should be believers. They said, We wish to eat from it and let our hearts be reassured and know that you have been truthful to us. 
and be among its witnesses. And then said Jesus, the son of Mary, O Allah, our Lord, send down to us a table spread with food from heaven to be for us a festival for the first of us and the last of us and a sign from you and provide for us, for you are the best of providers. And Allah said, indeed, I will send it down to you. And whoever disbelieves afterward from among you, then indeed will I punish him with a punishment by which I have not punished anyone among the worlds. That's a pretty severe punishment for not believing that a supernatural table was sent down from heaven with food on it. All right, number 11, the Quran teaches that Jesus's detractors claim that he worked the miraculous by false evil power. In chapter 5, or Surah 5, verse 110, they who disbelieved him said, this is clearly nothing but sorcery. They claimed he was a sorcerer because they didn't believe in him. And of course, in Matthew 12, verse 24, his detractors in the Bible said, the Pharisees heard that he had done certain things. And they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils or the ruler of the demons. And so there's some agreement there that uh, his detractors said he used evil power to do what he did. According to the Quran, this may shock you, but Jesus lived a sinless life. In the 19th surah, the ninth ayah, it says he, and, and Gabriel is speaking, he said, I am only a messenger of thy Lord that I may bestow on thee a faultless son. That was supposedly Gabriel's message to Mary, that he had come with the message that she would have a faultless son. So Jesus was without sin, according to the Quran. When I share the gospel with a Muslim, I always mention that, that your holy book states Jesus was without sin. And I don't mention anyone else. I don't mention Muhammad or any other leader in Islam. But I say, then that makes Jesus so much greater and mightier than any other human being, any leader of any world religion. They have to admit that's true. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. According to the Quran, Jesus had supernatural knowledge. He could tell people what they had in their homes, what they had to eat. He could tell them specific things that he had no way of knowing. And in the Bible, there's numerous instances where Jesus had supernatural knowledge. Like the woman at the well. You've had five husbands. The one you have now is not your own. Jesus is called, now this is a shocker. Jesus is called the Spirit of God seven times in the Quran. And then number 15, according to the Quran, Jesus was not crucified. And this is one of the most controversial uh, ideas in Islam, exactly what this passage meant. Did he die? Did he not die? But anyway, it says in Surah 4, verses 155 through 159, and I'm just going to pick out a few uh, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of God. 
they did not kill him. Even though people said that, we have killed the Messiah. It goes on to say they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, though it was made to appear like that to them. Those that disagreed about him are full of doubt with no knowledge to follow, only supposition. They certainly did not kill him. Then the next verse says, God raised him up to himself. God is almighty and wise. There is not one of the people of the book who will not believe in Jesus before his death. And on the day of resurrection, he will be a witness against them. So this is explained two ways by people who try and interpret this passage. Number one, that the crucifixion took place because of substitution. Somebody else took Jesus's place in crucifixion. It was somebody else crucified, not him. And some even think that that the person that was crucified bore the likeness of the appearance of Jesus. But Jesus was not crucified because this passage states plainly and definitely he wasn't. Some who try to interpret this passage say that the one on the cross was just an apparition. It was some kind of supernatural mirage that seemed like Jesus, but it wasn't really him. And that God caused him to be assumed up into heaven or he ascended up into heaven. And some interpret this statement to mean an, uh, another statement that I'm about to give you. They interpret it to mean that Jesus died at some point before ascending to heaven, but a natural death. Because in the 19th chapter, 33rd and 34th verse of the Quran, Jesus is speaking and he says, peace was on me the day I was born and will be on me the day I die and the day I am raised to life again. Such was Jesus, son of Mary. This is a statement of the truth about which they are in doubt. So a lot of Christians refer to that verse concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 19, verse 33 and 34. Now, according to the Quran, he ascended into heaven. And we find that in chapter 3, verse 55, Surah 3, Ayah 55, when Allah said, O Jesus, lo, I am gathering thee and causing thee to ascend unto me, and am cleansing thee of all those who disbelieve, and am setting those who follow thee above those who disbelieve. Hmm. I'm setting those who follow thee above those who disbelieve. Well, of course, in John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus talked about ascending. He told Mary, do not cling to me, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And so Muslims believe Jesus ascended to heaven. Christians believe Jesus ascended to heaven. That's a meeting point where we can discuss the differences in our faith by finding a point we both agree on, okay? Number 17, according to the Quran, Jesus is coming back to destroy the Antichrist. Hallelujah, we agree on that. And according to the Quran, Isa or Jesus will do that with his sword. Now, of course, in the book of Revelation, He's depicted as riding on a white horse with a sword proceeding out of his mouth. 
I don't believe that's a literal sword and there'll be a literal bloodbath in the world. I believe the sword is representative of the word of God. And that when he speaks as he descends, the Lord will descend with a shout, that it will be a declaration of his lordship over all the world. That will be the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then the final couple of uh, statements I want to give, number 18, is that Jesus will die after he comes back again, kills the Antichrist. Eventually he dies and is resurrected again at the end of time. So that's uh, quite a different view than what the Bible would paint. But finally, I wanted you to hear this in chapter 57 or Surah 57 verses 26 and 27. Allah gave Isa the gospel and put compassion and mercy in the hearts of his followers, according to that passage. Let me read it all together. We, and again, the plural pronoun is used when Allah supposedly is speaking. We sent Noah and Abraham and gave prophethood and scripture to their offspring. Among them, there were some who were rightly guided, but many were lawbreakers. We sent other messengers to follow in their footsteps. After those, we sent Jesus, son of Mary. We gave him the gospel and put compassion and mercy in the heart of his followers. So that would be a great one to mention to Muslims. Surah 57, verses 26 and 27, God said he gave the gospel, the good news, to Jesus and put compassion and mercy in the hearts of his followers. How awesome is that? Because we do love Muslims. I love anyone in this world that God loves. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so that compassion, that love is God-given. It's our way of becoming his hands extended to the world and his voice lifted up. So next time you meet a Muslim, mention Surah 57 and Ayah 26 and 27, where God said he gave the gospel to Jesus and put compassion and love in the hearts of his followers. Well, I hope that's been interesting to you. It's been a different kind of podcast, but I think it's been very educational and very much of an impartation that will empower you to be a voice and a witness to the Muslim world. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.